Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And I just want to um, start by taking you to a crisp spring morning. The sun is shining. It's reflecting off the water on a beautiful river cutting through the Shropshire countryside. There's happy chatter, there's laughter. Things are going well. It's a wonderful day. All seems well with the world. In fact, it's spirit lifting. But then suddenly, while kayaking down the river, there's a fence, a farmer's fence from a field and it's fallen across. And there's the sense that something isn't quite right. Something could be quite problematic. In fact, there's barbed wire. What's going on? There's some sort of a problem in the water. The people in front are starting to all swerve off to the side in the group. Why? What's going on? Is there some sort of a problem? Oh no, best stay away from that problem. Don't want to get caught out. In fact, it becomes clear there is a submerged barbed wire fence that's going to catch the kayaks. So everybody needs to move through a narrow channel to the side. And one by one, people are getting through, but the odd one is getting knocked. And now they're starting to be bodies in the water as boats are being flipped and there's lots of splashing. And as I try and try and paddle faster and faster to get away from the hazard, The worst happens, the boat flips, struggle, pop like popcorn out of it, get out, swim to the surface, look to see what the damage is. Not too much blood, only slightly cut trousers. The barbed wire seems to be everywhere and need to get round it. The hazard hasn't been missed. In fact, ploughed straight into it. When you're kayaking, where you look, is where your body faces, your torso, where it twists. And where you twist to is where the boat goes. The boat responds to the movement of your body and your hips, and it directs that way in the water. Our lives are a bit like that. When we look at something, when we run for it, we go the direction that we are facing. We don't go the way that we are not looking. So when we get distracted, when we look off to one side, we veer off. And sometimes this causes great pain. Sometimes this causes problems. And I'm going to come back to that in a bit. But for now, I just want to give you an idea of where we're going this morning. So we are in 1 Timothy 4, verses 11 to 16. And I'd love you to look it up because I'm going to be jumping back and forward a little bit with the verses. So if you have it to hand, it may be a little easier to follow. Plus, I know some people are visual learners as opposed to just audio learners. So seeing those words for context may really help you. So where we're going over the next 20 or so minutes is we're going to start with number one. Where we're at in Timothy, a little bit of context, where we've been, where we're going and it comes into play who Timothy is. Then number two, we are going to look at positive or negative, known by the fruit. Then we're going to look at one way or many and running the race. And then finally, following the leader or leading the follower. Then we'll recap 
and we'll move forward. So I'd like you to join me in reading 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, which I hope you've had a chance to find by now. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy was somebody who had gone with Paul on his missionary journeys. We looked at Acts before we moved into our Timothy series. Don't know if you can recall, those of you who were with us, but for those of you who won't, quick recap, Paul um, used to go on journeys to the churches with some of the companions. He went with Silas at times, but also Timothy pops up multiple times. Timothy journeyed with Paul. He journeyed with Paul and Silas. He was then with Silas in Berea. He rejoined Timothy in Corinth and their journeys just interwove throughout as they went to go and teach and support and encourage and build the churches across the known world back then, across um, what we now look at around the Mediterranean and so forth. And Timothy was um, known by uh, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, who were Uh, Jews who had faith, who brought him up well in the scriptures. He was a learned man. He had a depth to him. And this was obviously more than just a qualification. He had been with Paul, who said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He'd had an example to follow. He'd been brought up in the scriptures. He knew his stuff. And yet, It talks about him being a young man. Verse 11, let no one despise you for your youth. Now, what does that mean? Youth, 20 to 30 years old, the the scholarship has him down as about. And that doesn't sound that young to us. And in fact, if you think back to the uh, ages people used to live for back in the day, in Bible times, we don't think of them living that much longer um, than that. So is that still young? But don't forget, The Hebrew culture, the Jewish culture was one of respect for elders, of wisdom. For those who had grey hairs, who'd been there on the journey, who'd got the story to tell. So at 20 to 30, what could he know with all? But he had travelled. He had been through so much already. And God, God, of course, puts the Holy Spirit in us. And he is the voice of truth. So the reason I'm going into this is because Paul makes a big point of it. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. So that would suggest that he was being called into question for who he is. Later, he also says, 
do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, the council of Jerusalem, the uh, the gathered church in Jerusalem, the center where where Christianity started, where originally the Holy Spirit came across the um, came upon seventy two, and they all went out, and the gospel was taken to Judea and to the ends of the worlds. In fact, it was such an important thing that happened here that Paul mentions it more than once in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He also comes back and he mentions it saying, verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So this was quite an event. The fact that Paul mentions it more than once that he is qualified, not just by who he thinks he is, but by a heavenly authority, by an ordination from God. At the start of Timothy, we discussed a number of weeks ago that there was that um, that ordination of Timothy by, by Paul. When you are ordained by God, when he gives you your authority, you have a voice to speak. You have a message to carry. It's not under our own authority, but it is because of what Christ did. We touched upon that earlier in communion. Christ gave it all. He led the way. He made the way. Without him, it was not possible. And it is through him, through his word, through the truth that he reveals to us that when we are invited into his family, when we are adopted as sons and daughters through the work at the cross, when we are reconciled man to God, we have the authority of God because we're a member of his family to go and share, to go and share the hope that we have. In fact, not only do we have the authority, we are told to go to the nations and make disciples. We are told to be ready to share the hope that we have, the hope of the living God, to take that to people, to lift them up and to bring them to the truth of God. So Paul has told Timothy to remember that time, to remember that he, you know, he was acknowledged by not just human hands, not just the church leaders, the council in Jerusalem. He was acknowledged not just by when they prayed and laid hands on him and they sent him out, but prophecy, which means the voice of God speaking into his life and giving him that call making clear the call upon his life. And it suggested that that's why Timothy was then the one chosen and sent to the church in Ephesus to go and uh, combat the false teaching there and to lead the churches into truth because he was called by God and he was given a gift to teach and to break the false teaching there. So what difference does Paul talking to one of his leaders make to us keep listening and see what connects with you as we go because there are things here which are such deep truths that they are true for each of us because I want to challenge you that each of you is a leader in some way shape or form each of you is a leader be that to your household or to your children be that to a team in your workplace be that in your community or a project or a um, 
charity work that you do. I know some of you here have been involved with the City Mission and the homeless uh, work that we do there. And you are leading people in love into the presence of God sometimes when you get the authority to speak you get to lead by example so listen to these words and don't just think that this is for Keith that this is for um, the Pomeroys or for um, Dave and Laura or for Andy and Hannah or the people that we have that we know are our eldership and are our church leaders or lead the worship team or lead a home group this is for each of us, even as we lead by example, there'll be somebody who looks up to you, who follows you, somebody maybe younger, maybe some friends who see the wisdom in what you do. So that was number one. Where are we at and who is Timothy? Great tick. So moving on, positive or negative, by the fruit we will be known. Verse 12, if you just look with me there. Um, we continue from let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Set an example. Have you ever noticed? When you see somebody doing something and you think, oh, my gosh that's going to get them in so much trouble, I best warn them. I best let them know. Or when they say something that cuts deep and you think, I'm going to have to tell them. If you say that out of a position where you have not got relationship, where you have not got the right to speak into uh, that situation, or just where they're already feeling got at, the response is walls. They just come up, they rise up. There is a defensiveness. They are put on the offensive. They are ready to attack. How dare you? Or even just they stop listening and their faces go stony. So often when we are peers with people, when we are the same level as them, or when they count us as having not the same experience in that field of life as they do, we can be seen as critical. We can be seen as somebody who is just having a go and it's not beneficial. Somebody like Paul, who has everybody looking up to him and is leading and is at the top, maybe Keith would be in this position, um, or Jeremy and some of the, the apostolic leaders we have within Christ Central, um, our church sphere. You'd probably listen with a little bit more Okay, I need to listen. I might not like it, but I need to listen. But if one of the other church members comes up and says, you might want to watch your step there, we may receive it if we are in relationship with them, but we may not receive it. People do not like being told that they are wrong. Now, if it's already come into question that Timothy has the right to speak because he is young, does he really want to put the backs of the church he is serving up? So Paul is very wise and he says, set an example for the believers. When we lead by our actions, by the things that we say, our speech, by our conduct, the works of our hands, the little glances we make, all of those subtle body language um, signs, 
all of the little tells that we have when we close off, when we pull away, when we step forward and listen. People are more likely to see what we're doing and might be more challenged by our behaviour. As we show that what we do, we are not being hypocritical with. So instead of putting somebody's back up, instead of putting them on the back foot immediately because we're having a go at them, when we lead by example, when we show that we are loving, that we are coming from a heart that cares, that really has your best interests at heart, when we have the faith and we see and speak life into the positive things, when we speak life into the things that God is drawing out of you, the gold in you, when we acknowledge that, okay, life is hard, but let's go this way, it's going to be much easier to then later accept the criticism when we're challenged. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Nobody likes the person who says, do what I say, not what I do. It's why it's often so scandalous when a church or community leader is found to have been having an affair or to have been committing fraud or doing something that shows them to have been lying because they've said one thing and they've acted a different way. It hurts. It's a betrayal. So if we are to focus on leading by example in our speech, conduct, love, faith, purity is going to follow. Instead of looking and worrying about what I shouldn't be doing, don't have an affair, don't be sexually immoral and swaying this way and that, don't be lying, don't be stealing. When you set the example and look to Christ, the ultimate example, and we lead with love, the purity follows in our conduct anyway. It is so much easier to go towards the positive. In fact, I would go as far as saying, you can't set an example in the opposite. I don't know if you caught that, but when I say you can't set an example in the opposite, I mean that you can't show somebody something and expect them to do the opposite thing. You have to set the example in the positive. You have to set the example by what you do. That is called the example. It's imitatable. It can be followed. People follow when they have a grasp of what that means. It's so easy to teach and to say, uh, cast the vision and the hope. And yes, we must be holy because God is holy. But what does that mean? What does it really mean to be holy when it's three in the morning and your child is screaming in pain? And you've got to take a trip to A&E. Something's not right. What does it truly mean to be holy when somebody uh, in the supermarket is having a go at you and saying, you're in my space, you've got too close, obey the social distancing rules, and they've marched up into your face and broken them themselves. What does it mean to be right in our words? So that's where examples come in. We love stories and we love things we can see because it's no longer just conceptual. It's no longer just something which is up there. In our um, our faith, faith is believing 
what we know it is seeing and believing it can be real. Did you know, since the first recorded runner, going to go back to that race because um, great examples, and it comes from earlier in the passage, um, teach these things involves the prior 10 verses, which Keith spoke on last, last week, which involved training ourselves in the spiritual as well as in the physical and running the race. So did you know when they first recorded a time trial in the 1880s, 1886, that the four minute mile didn't exist? It was over four minutes. A mile could not be done. And for years, that was the goal. That was the key aim. We are going to run a, uh, run a mile in less than four minutes. And it took from 1886 to 1954 for that to be accomplished. Nobody thought it could be done. Everybody thought it was beyond human capability. But then there was this chap, Roger Bannister. And he did it. And it's lots of people have talked about it, about the wind speed being just right and his mentality and all the rest. But the key thing I want to come in for here is he did something everybody else thought was impossible. But when he led by example, within 46 days across the globe, Landy managed to do it faster by a second than he did. And within a year, there was another race that came up and three people broke the four minute mile. When somebody in front of us leads by example and shows us that it is possible, our faith increases, it lifts. We are able to comprehend that perhaps I can do this too. Perhaps where life is hard, if they can do it, so can I. If God has done it before, he will do it again. We are not alone. So I said I was going to jump around a little bit. I also want to just skip to verse 14. Um, not verse 14, wrong verse, verse 15 and 16. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it's not just a case of being able to do it. There is also a case for the fact that we need to practice. It doesn't happen overnight. So seeing the example that somebody else is walking that before us and that it is doable reminds us when we feel like we have fallen down, when we feel like we are incapable, that we can do it. Who are you following? Who are you setting as your example? Are you looking to culture and our wonderful um, political scene? Our politicians, are they the ones who are setting your example? Is it musicians, bands, pop stars, media figures? Are they showing you how you should live by the most recent focus that we need to be active in seeking righteousness in our community, which means that we cannot be racist or that we cannot be um, against the environment and we have to focus on that? Or are you following the example of Christ as modelled by godly leaders, showing you how to have love in all of these things? I'm not saying you should be racist or that you should be anti-environment. In fact, God calls us to love all people and he calls us to steward the things that he has given to us in Genesis, when mankind was given dominion of the earth, we are to look after it. But we do all of this from following Christ's example. 
We don't do it from a place of being told you should focus on this because if you don't, you are a um, you're an environmental perpetrator. You are the reason for our problems. No. Who are you focusing on? Practice these things and immerse yourself in them. That means surround everything completely. When you jump in the water, you're immersed when the water level comes over your head and it surrounds every part of your body. So to immerse yourself is a fullness and all togetherness and all aroundness, positive or negative. By our, by our fruit will be known. That verse is... Um, Hang on, I have the reference here. You'll know them by their fruits. Matthew 7 in the section 15 to 20, it talks about false teachers. So that comes into who we follow. But also it talks about that a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So the things that we do will reap fruit in our actions because what we think and what we believe comes out in our actions are we practicing, are we immersing ourselves in the word of God, in all things that are good and lovely, perfect, all things that are kind? What is coming in your ears? What things are surrounding your thinking and changing your emotions? What teaching are you listening to? And I want to put it to you that TV shows teach you things because stories teach us. I want to put it to you that the radio teaches you because the things that the talk hosts are saying, they hold a belief. There are assumptions made by every one of us in order to survive and deal with the world. So what assumptions are you letting sink into your into your thinking? What assumptions affect your faith and your belief that God is bigger than it all, that God is able to conquer? Immerse yourself so that you may see progress. We practice. That means we don't always get it right. Sometimes we fall down. Sometimes we make the wrong decisions, say the wrong words. But when we listen and pick up on it, we go again. And then we start to see the progress because it becomes a little easier to encourage instead of criticizing and ripping to shreds the person in front of us, the person next to us, because it becomes easier to love, because it becomes easier as it becomes our habit to instead of being sarcastic, to encourage, to honor to see the good in a situation, one way or many. Verse 13, Paul says to Timothy, um, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, devote. So he said the most important thing, the direction to be heading is to bring the truth that God has given us, to bring the word of God by speaking it out loud, by sharing it amongst everybody, and then by preaching it, inspiring the awe of God, letting people get that picture that they can hold on to and go, I want to run after this. This is amazing. Wow, what an awesome God we serve. And then teaching it, breaking it down the step by step. He's already acting it, but now explain it. But do you notice Paul here doesn't talk about any of the negatives? He's pointed them out before, the things to be warned of, but it's much easier to go after the positive, to actually do the right thing, to practice it. Like I was saying with the kayaking, I want to take it to a, to a bicycle. When you're riding along and you see a friend and you start looking sideways, whoop, the bike starts to, to sway to one side. When you don't look where you're going and you're walking, your foot can trip 
on a route when you don't know what's in front of you. Then you injure your leg. You might fall down. You might get bruised. When we are hurt, are we as powerful, as impactful? Can we do as much as we wanted to do? Now, I remember when I um, had a terrible fall and my leg was swollen for months and I was on crutches. Great fun. But what it meant was at work, I had to stand in the corner by the till. I couldn't go off. I couldn't walk around. I couldn't be of more use. I had one thing I was able to do. When we are injured, we are less able to help others. We are less able to move forward. So when you practice this, when we focus on what God tells us to do, we will be able to see where we are going and set that path in front of us. Not be double-minded, because as James reminds us, as James reminds us, a person who is double-minded is unstable in all his ways. We run after the one thing. Who are we following? Who's the leader that we are following? The one thing, so we're coming into land, I'm almost there, just a little bit left on this point. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's that one thing. Persist in this persist in following after God, in reading the scripture and seeing the example that he sets. Devote yourself wholly to. It's that one thing. It's that one thing that we're chasing after. It's that goal. Now, did you notice you trip up, you're practicing being good and you tell a little half truth and it sneaks in and you think, oh, oh my gosh, why did I even say that? I don't even know. And then you it's in your mind it's going round and round so when it comes to explaining the story and telling it again you notice that you say it again and you're like oh why do I keep tripping up on this I've got to make sure I tell the whole truth and so you go into the next and you're going about your day and then somebody asks you a question and you feel embarrassed so when you share you don't quite tell the story accurately and you're like, I've done it again. Why can I not tell the whole truth? Why do I keep doing this? And the more you focus on it, the harder and harder it gets. So as I finish, I just want to say, who are you following? Jesus, obviously, but who's the examples? Who are the people who are helping you keep running? Who is your Roger Bannister? Who is the person who's saying, this is possible. Come and follow me. Who is the person making it easier? So after having been tipped up in my kayak, after having had things go wrong, after having been looking the wrong way, we get back in and we go again. And our tutor says, stick right behind me and follow me. This next bit where the water comes in, there's a tree. Don't want you to look at that tree. Just look at me. Keep your eyes on me and let's go. Paddle as hard as you can. So we paddle forwards and we're in a line and we're all going. And guess what? Every single one of us gets through because we're not worried about the impending problem. We're not looking at the obstacle. We're not looking at the thing that's going to trip us up to the point that it does trip us up. We are focused on following because somebody said, I can do this. And then they've gone through. And even though the water's got a lot faster and there's like a bit of a weir thing as it drops down, and that's even technically more tricky to deal with. 
done that bit of barbed wire. Not one person capsizes because we can see it's doable and we know exactly which route to take. And he said, go exact. If I go left, go left. If I go right, go right. And we all get through together as a body. We can get there. We can encourage each other and we can make the difference. Paul encourages Timothy in the face of the false teaching to show people what is actually the right way to challenge their thinking and to go forwards. And says, come, I'm going to show you the truth. I'm going to show you what God has shown me. Let's do this. Let's go towards the goal. As Paul is famous for teaching in Hebrews 12, let's throw off the sin that so easily entangles and run the race marked out for us. Who are you following? But who is leading you? Not leading you. Who are you leading? Don't forget that the things that you do, somebody else is watching and you can be their encouragement and you can help them find victory, find hope. You can be their four minute mile. This is possible. At the same time, you are following somebody else. And as we all help each other go closer in the right way, as we focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we know it's not impossible because all things are possible in God. So I just want to pray. Lord. We thank you dearly that you loved us so much, that you didn't leave us to try and work it out alone, that you did not leave us to try and figure out how to overcome that sin that so easily entangles. We messed up again and again. The whole history of the Old Testament shows us this, that when we knew what we needed to do, we kept messing up. But you sent somebody to show us that it is possible it is possible to attain that heavenly place and who made that way and did it for us where we couldn't. Thank you that you invite us to join you and that because you love us so much, we can come into your presence, find the strength we need for tomorrow. We can find your truth in the scriptures, the words that you have given us. We can find the strength within us because when we give our life to you. You say, I'm not leaving you alone. I give you a helper, the Holy Spirit within you. And then you gave us the body, the bride of Christ. We are together, the church. Help us this week to be your hands and feet, to focus on you and that that would be a joy. In Jesus' heavenly name. Amen.